Welcome to Let's Fix Things, exploring how user experience impacts the world of IoT and connected devices. Chus, good morning. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. So you have a trip to Barcelona coming up. Yep, yep. I'm going to Sonar, the music festival. Looking forward to it. Cool. Now we'll have to talk about that a little bit in the future. I'm, I'm curious how that goes for you. Uh, so today we want to talk about the ways in which connected devices are failing us and the people who use them, uh, or as it's been popularized on Twitter, the internet of shit. Uh, so we're going to start by looking at the ways uh, that connected devices are failing us and then try to understand a little bit about what we can do about it. So let's start here. We have the technology to make everything around us magical, uh, but it's not. And we need to ask ourselves, why? Why does this happen? And we, we use the term magical as the, the adjective here. You could use effortless or efficient or that the technology anticipates your needs or that it automates your needs. It really doesn't matter. These things should be happening, but they're not. And it's, it's a little bit like the bionic man that, you know, we can build this stronger and, and faster, except companies seem to do the opposite. And I don't think they do it, uh, well, I, I, I know they don't do it intentionally, but we end up creating more complexity and more friction and more confusion. So for what we mean by, by technology, or by magic, sorry, is when technology fades into the background, when it just works. Yeah, or when multiple technologies blend together to form one new experience. For us, within this series of podcasts, we want to explore a little bit on, on why this happens and what we can do about it, what good design and thoughtful user experience uh, approaches can do for the world of IoT. Uh, but first, let's take a moment and look a little bit about what uh, experiences that are, that are magical or they're effortless or they're well-coordinated, well-orchestrated experience, what these things should look like, just to set a little bit of a, of a standard here. And one of the easiest that, that you may see often duplicated, but it never seems to be done quite as well, is the Disney Magic Band. And you see, uh, you see sometimes at uh, festivals they'll do this, and sometimes it's with a card, and sometimes it's with a band. Uh, but for those of you who aren't familiar, the Disney Magic Band is a bracelet that you wear that's connected to your uh, Disney hotel, it is connected to your credit card, it is connected to photos you take in the park, and everything creates this very seamless experience where you don't feel the technology uh, coming, you know, coming into your life. It doesn't feel like you're dealing with technology, but things just work seamlessly and, and things feel like they anticipate your needs or they anticipate what you want out of it. And as, as somebody who's experienced this a few times going to Disney World, it, it truly is a very magic experience and, and, a very, and a great experience where so much technology is being used, but because the experience is thought through so clearly and the experience is thought through at such a level of detail that you don't notice the technology and the experience itself comes through. Uh, you had one of these on um, when watching movies. Yeah, uh, not, not the Disney Magic Band, but a completely different uh, one where the where the technologies became seamless. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a little moment of magic. The basic functionality, as I, I use a Chromecast at home, and um, what happens when you use a Chromecast is you you queue something up on your phone, 
which of course we're talking about could have a lot of friction, but looking for something on your phone and queuing it up on your TV is easy. But after that, it becomes a bit more complicated. But what the cool thing is about this Chromecast is that you're allowed to use the play and pause controls on your TV remote. So actually you sort of hand off the experience to your remote. But the little moment of magic for me happened when I was watching a movie and my phone went off. Normally I would stumble and try to find a remote and pick up the phone at the same time. But because my phone knew that I was watching a movie and it was playing back, it just paused it automatically and I didn't have to do a thing. So when I looked at the TV, when I picked up the phone, I was like, wow, how did they know that? But it just, it just made sense. No, and then you could extrapolate that experience. I mean, that, that's a great example. I, I use a Chromecast here. I see the same things. Uh, you could even pull that back a little bit to where uh, the, the simple sort of uh, atomic unit of that uh, would be iTunes pausing when you get a Skype incoming call. Yeah. So there's these little, these little moments of magic where you think, oh, I meant to do that, but I didn't have to. And all of a sudden you're, you're like, damn, that, that's how everything should work. But to me, it, it's really like these little automatic thingies that we're already living with. Think about your fridge light. It goes on when your fridge is open and it goes off when your fridge is closed. And that light is never wrong. It's automatic. It's programmed by somebody else, but it's just never wrong. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it, it's pretty cool. And that example is great because there is nothing, there is no real smarts in it, right? It's just an old school. It's, it's a little trigger that when you open the door, it, it turns on the light. And yet every sensor and every piece of technology and every connection we have, we can't seem to get those little details right so many of the times that we end up using these. We, we continue to offload problems to the user, expect them to set up more. Sometimes that's because we're trying to solve problems that are quite complex, and sometimes it's uh, simply because of, of technology issues that we have yet to overcome, but that doesn't mean that they have to stand in the way of creating great solutions. Let's start with the basic premise of th this, this friction problem. Uh, you have a number of new touch points with a connected device, with, with any connected device. Uh, most of these are going to have an application. With an application, you're going to get notifications. Uh, several of the of connected devices within the IoT space, especially consumer devices, they're going to have a hub, uh, whether you call that a hub, a gateway, a bridge, whatever you want to call it. Uh, many of them will have cloud services, some of them have additional physical components to them. And with all of this, you have increased functionality, but you also have increased uh, complexity of a system. So the first thing, and I'm sure this will be repeated over and over in future podcasts, is that with any new point of technology that you add in a connected device, it increases the friction exponentially and therefore must increase value. Uh, and and I, I use the word exponentially, even though that's that's technically wrong, because uh, uh, you've you've corrected me that it is factorially, yeah. and I know that you 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 sort of love these numbers. So give a little give a little understanding of what that means when when you say you increase something factorially because of the devices added. Well, when you have one device, it can connect to itself, and that's it. When you have two devices, they can connect to each other. But once you get three devices, they're actually the device can connect to two buddies and each device can do that for itself. So there's actually six connections between three devices. So the moment you have seven devices, you're actually looking at 5,040 uh, ways of connecting to the other devices uh, across. And this number goes up much faster than, than any uh, yeah, of the technologies that we're used to using. 
that is a clear reason, uh, or at least it gives you insight as to why these connected technologies uh, can get complex very, very fast, why companies are experiencing uh, problems with friction and why everything can't be solved. And, and some of that is, is brought on by companies themselves, right? They, they create these problems and uh, other parts of it are, are inherent in the system. And actually, to, to that point of let's, let's take a very, let's take one of the most simple examples uh, that I think anybody within the IoT space is going to be familiar with, the connected light bulb. So for me, uh, I have Philips Hue installed in my house. And if I think about the number of touch points that I now have with a light uh, lighting system or with even an individual light, previously I had a light switch on the wall that turned my lights on and off. Now with, with Philips Hue, I have a bridge. And that bridge then allows me to connect to an application. So then I have an application that can, can talk to individual lights or can talk to lights as a group. I also have this connected up through uh, HomeKit. So I can use uh, Siri to talk to my lights, Siri to issue certain commands to my lights. Not all commands, uh, but specific commands. If I were so inclined, I could also hook up my lights to uh, Echo so that Alexa could talk to them. So there, uh, instantly, I have this, this complexity of, of situations that starts to arise. I, I don't have this, but Philips Hue also sells uh, the Hue Tap, which is a physical button that you can program scenes on. Uh, there's also a dimmer switch for their white bulbs. And so when you start to add all these, uh, these pieces together, and when you get those physical switches, they are in addition to the other switches that you have in the house. You can understand how all of these all of these things can result in, in massive complexity, not to mention if you have a multi-user environment. And when, when companies are faced with this, they often don't walk through a, a complete customer journey. And this is what causes so many problems is how do you start to throw all these technologies together, but just make it work? Yeah, and definitely if, if some of these touch points are actually legacy touch points, like a light switch in your house, in the case of a Philips Hue, if you use that light switch, you can actually physically uh, switch that light off in such a way that the bridge can't reach it anymore. So not even do you get more touch points, some of these touch points are going to be incompatible with others. Yeah, so there's, there's a master and slave issue at, at, at a moment where, you know, I turn off my physical light, uh, sorry, my, my actual light switch that's embedded into the wall, and I can no longer use the system. So in a way, you have this normal way of doing things, which is going to be ingrained in your behavior, and you're going to do this every day. And in the beginning, you're going to have to unlearn that behavior to be able to use these advanced features. Yeah. And, and so that gets to the idea that at any point that you introduce new touch points, that you're introducing this complexity, you always have to remember that the value that your system is creating must be better, must be more than the pain that the users will experience to unlearn or to set up or whatever this may be, that you have to offer such value that people will move over to your product and embrace your product. And that's currently one of the bigger problems that, that companies have is the value of a connected light bulb, let's say. Is it really great that I can turn my light bulb different colors? Am I really going to spend that much money and, and install, all these you know, install all these pieces of hardware and deal with all the setup aspects in order to get this. And the, the answer from a mass adoption point, I think we've seen is no, right? People have not been adopting, adopting these at, at a mass consumption rate. And that's, that's one of the biggest reasons is there's just too much friction in the value of the non-connected products 
uh, still outweighs the value of the connected products, even with the additional functionality. Yeah. So from that point, you really want to understand what are those points of friction uh, so that you can begin to solve for them. Uh, on our side, we jotted down a few that we thought were interesting and we thought were the most common ones uh, that, we're going to, that we're going to read over and, and sort of talk about a little bit. And we'll link to these in the show notes and, and we'll put a link to the website so you can get a better idea of, of the list of these as opposed to us just reading them out from our brainstorm earlier. Uh, but the first one is companies want or companies have this drive to do proprietary technology. A lot, of, uh, a lot of these products are shipped with their own gateway. Again, whether you call that a gateway, a bridge, or a hub. Uh, they're shipped with their own gateway system. Uh, you have some companies like Google who are even creating their own protocols. And then you have other companies, Nest, that's taking that protocol and they're creating their own protocol off that. Uh, so you have all these different uh, situations coming up that are creating uh, a, a dispersed technology field that, that these things are not fitting together. And that's why you have uh, situations uh, like Apple uh, creating HomeKit uh, or other third-party aggregators uh, that create these different technologies to tie everything together because otherwise there's, there is nothing else that's tying them together. Hence, we're getting this, this massive problem of friction that products just aren't working together. Yeah, it's called the Internet of Things and the Internet claims to be open. So anything needs to be able to work with anything and these companies are closing off their products, making little walled gardens of functionality. While the promise of the Internet of Things is that you can program anything to work with anything. Well, hopefully you don't have to program it. I think that's, I think that's the key, right? That's what's causing so many of these problems. Mm. And, and, and you've said this before, and I'm sure you'll say it again, that companies are passing the buck to, to users to expect them to handle and program these things when realistically, uh, you know, just like the, the light in the refrigerator, it should just work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit unfair to ask the user to come up with the best use cases. Yeah. No, uh, that would be great. I mean, eventually once, uh, once artificial intelligence gets there and it can suggest those things, that will be absolutely wonderful. Uh, but until that point, and I, I can sort of picture you, you laughing at this a little bit, but until we get to that point, uh, you know, yes, we're going to have to, companies are going to have to take on some of that responsibility to do the research, to understand what's really going to be helpful to people. Yeah. I think, I think the key is, customization but not creation from zero you you shouldn't buy functionality and you having to add the scenarios and everything to it i think out of the box it should provide you with some things that that make your life better than before it was an internet of things device and then on top of that you can customize things to your specific behavior yeah no and and that makes sense right so you want the connected device to provide more value than the non-connected device you want it to provide that value with just slightly more friction than it would for the, for the non-connected device, right? Because you will, of course, have to do probably a little bit of installation, but not that much, I would expect. And then, as you just said, the promise of stringing all these things together. Yeah, and, and, and this is something you just don't see because of all these different technologies. And that, I mean, that rolls into another sort of point of friction we talked about. There's too many platforms, and certification on platforms doesn't mean things will work. So we just went through a, a, you know, a product looking at Zigbee. And even within Zigbee, there's four different types uh, of, of, I can't remember if it was certification or, yeah, I believe it was, yeah, four different types of certification within Zigbee. Uh, two of them we were looking at was home automation and TouchLink. And even if, you, even if you got one of those certifications, it just never felt like it was going to be natural that you could automatically connect to these things. It still felt like you were, like you were taking a gamble unless you really tested everything out. 
Yeah, and I, I feel like at the moment when I see certain applications come out with smart technologies, that some of the terminology from these protocols is it making it is making itself all the way until the UI, and therefore, as you've said before, that I would talk uh, talk about it's it's offloading the mental model forming to the user. So the user needs to think about scenes and rooms and all of these things that are inside the Zigbee protocol. It's not helping them in a UI way, but it's just showing them what it's called inside of the, the API calls. Yeah, so, so before people, you know, one of these natural things that, that um, designers would say is, oh, you're exposing your organizational structure to the user. Nobody cares that you're, you have all these different teams. They just want to see a complete experience. And this is sort of the same thing here where nobody cares what your protocol has in it. They want to see the right thing for their experience. So you also have this, this problem where products get abandoned. So while you have all these platforms, while you have all these technologies, you of course have an issue of some technologies going forward and some technologies not going forward. And Google Revolve has been a great example of this where it was purchased, it was, it was kept up for a few years and then it was dropped. And customers who have this product are basically SOL. Uh, so, you know, they're, they got to buy new products. And how often, how many of these products are we buying that have, that should, the non-connected product would have a shelf life of five years, of six years, of 10 years. And now that they're connected products, they actually have shorter lifespans. I don't know if any of you remembers uh, Berg, Little Printer. Um, I do. <laughs> I backed their Kickstarter campaign back then. I really thought it was an awesome product. I got it home. Unboxing was amazing. I had a really nice print on it. Everything was easy. I had to install some kind of bridge. Back then, I didn't really know what that was for, but it all worked until about a year after, for me, they uh, discontinued their service. And what that means is that now my little printer has a permanent smile printed on its face like it always did at the end of a print, except because it doesn't print new faces anymore. It just has a slightly yellow tint to it and it will never print again. <laughs> so I basically bought a perfectly fine printer that worked for me for about a year and uh, now it's worthless. Yeah, so how many products are we going to see that, that have that? So again, we have Google Revolve, we have, the, I mean, there's, there's a string of these things that have been lying around from smaller companies that, that don't get supported. And then you also have the problem of, of like we were just saying, you have, a lot of these um, products, and again, we go back to a light bulb, where an LED light bulb may cost you $10, $10 or 10 euros, and it may last you 20 years. But when it's connected, the chips inside of it may really only be good for about five years. So are we creating almost this planned obsolescence? And how are companies thinking about stopping that? Because until that, that problem gets stopped, I mean, along with many others, again, you're going you're gonna to hurt mass adoption. Yeah, and with, with some devices, this makes sense to me. Like I use my phone daily and better apps with better graphics and higher requirements come out and I slowly see that phone getting slower. So by the end of its lifespan, by the time the battery is worn out, I've probably become fed up with the device because it's become slow and I, I feel like I'm ready for a new one. I'm not saying that this is the way we should go, but it's kind of the way people think about it now. But I've never experienced my light becoming more brown or less bright. It, it just doesn't work like that with an LED light bulb at least. So I don't know why my light bulb would be perfectly able to light my room, but just 
my hub doesn't work with it anymore, so I can't switch on my light. Yeah, to that, to that point, uh, you mentioned mobile phone, and you replace it every few years. A lot of these components have become available because of mo the mobile phone. Right? A lot of these were created for mobile technology, and, and then uh, that supply chain made them available to other pieces of technology. But as you said, a mobile phone, you replace every year or every two years, uh, but with a refrigerator, with a TV, with a light bulb, with a, an oven, uh, with an energy meter, water meter, whatever it may be. Uh, you replace those every five years or every 10 years. So something that all these components came from uh, has a natural lifespan of a few years and they're being placed into all these other products that have a much longer lifespan. So companies need to think about that a little bit more than they are to help the people who use them not feel that they, that they need to replace these, these much more expensive products all the time. Yeah, we've learned to replace devices when they start to feel old instead of when they're broken. Yeah, uh, great point. Uh, the, the next one, I mean, this one is far and away one of the, one of the biggest complaints, which is setup. Setup is always difficult. Um, not always, uh, but, you know, pretty much even when companies will say, setup is a breeze, all you have to do is download the application. And unfortunately, right there, you've already put a, a fairly major hurdle for people because you download the application. You have to usually sign into some sort of service that these companies have created or use uh, Facebook to sign in or something. And instantly, you've made this more difficult. And God forbid you have uh, you know, a, a bridge with this and you have to do something to the bridge and then you have to connect the lights and then you have to, uh, you know, I mean, even my Dropcam or my Chromecast, these things were very, very easy to set up, but it still took a lot of time. And so you still need to invest that time and believe that the value you're going to get out of that will be, will be met with the return and the quality that you get. And I can only say that customers have to believe in that value and going through that setup, even if it's, uh, if it's easy, that's wonderful. Anything above zero is going to be, of course, some level of investment. So they just have to think that they they're really need to follow through on that value. Uh, and, and to that coming up with what that value is, you see a lot of these products aren't even solving uh, needs per se. You know, companies will put chips in products and then they will, uh, they'll find reasons for these products to be connected. They won't say, when people use this, what's going to be the great thing about them being connected? They're simply throw some chips in and then create reasons for them to be connected. A great example that we were talking about a little bit ago and, and I love, so I, I'm, going to, I'm going to say that I love this, this product, uh, but I, I do feel that there needs to be a little bit more investment put into what the, what the service will be, which is Juicero. Um, I, I have a juicer. I paid, I think it was three, 350 or 400 for this. It's a slow juicer, so clearly I invested in this. Uh, you know, I didn't just get a, a, a blender for 50, 50 euros, $50. Uh, and, and so... I already have a feeling that I, you know, I'm in one of the, the higher end niches for a juicer and the Juicero is 700, which is a quite hefty price tag. It works only with their juice packets, as far as I know, I think so, from what I've read up on and what I've seen. And the biggest problem, and Chris, uh, you have a great example of a great metaphor for this, but it's a, it's a connected product to, for a replenishment service, which I absolutely love. I think, the, I think the connected products that use it for a replenishment service is great, are great. However, where I struggle with this is that when it stops, uh, when if your Wi-Fi drops out, so if you have these connected products in it and your Wi-Fi drops, you can no longer uh, juice. So it stops working at that point. 
And that to me is, is something where it's, it's started to solve a little bit of a need with the replenishment service. The price tag is a little bit higher. Uh, so again, you already have several points of friction here, but then you, you, you've gone, or you sort of gone off the cliff at the fact that when your Wi-Fi stops uh, for whatever reason, you can't choose. This is where I love to quote Mitch Hedberg, or actually paraphrase him. Um, he talks about escalators and uh, elevators, where when you get stuck in an elevator, it's broken, and you're going to have to have somebody get you out. You're basically stuck. But when you get stuck on an escalator, you can just walk down or up the stairs, whatever you were doing before that. And I think in product design, it should be exactly the same. When the service or the internet is out, it shouldn't break your product. Maybe it takes away the magical features, but the basics should always remain. Yeah, so this is sort of a, a bit like, is it, is it graceful degradation? Or I, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but there's something, yeah, there's some sort of a heuristic like that, basically, as, as pieces fail, make sure the entire thing doesn't fail around it. Um, and, and, and this goes again to this, this issue of uh, you know, solving real customer needs, solving real uh, needs of the people who are using this, and then also showing them what value that provides. And so if I see a product that is 100 uh, euros or dollars next to a connected product that's 200 dollars, I really need to understand what that value is from the connected product. And I need to make sure that if I'm spending that much money on that product, that it doesn't, it doesn't uh, completely stop working uh, when technology may fail or may pause, because then the non-connected product becomes better, the analog becomes better, the digital. This rolls into actually our, our last one uh, really well, which is products are just expensive. Connected products are, are simply expensive because of the components that are inside of them, and this is a barrier that leads uh, or that stops mass adoption. So we've been talking about lighting because that's the simplest thing for us, to, for us to discuss. That's what a lot of people know from the consumer side. And for lighting, am I really going to go out and purchase a bulb that is maybe 60 or 70 euros that changes colors, for example, uh, when I can purchase a bulb that will last me 20 or 25 years at Ikea for 10 euros or $10 an, an LED bulb, uh, knowing that the bulb for 60 or 70 euros may only last for five years until that technology becomes obsolete. And this is, this is one of those big problems that products are expensive, uh, they may actually fail before their analog counterparts. And this, this is a problem that companies are going to need to figure out how to overcome in some way, shape, or form in order to get mass adoption of products. And I, I, I think within the, within the home space, this is a little bit more, uh, more prevalent. I, if you go to industrial spaces, if you go to logistics, if you go to agriculture and developing markets because you're purely selling sensors, this is gonna, going to be less of an issue. But within uh, the consumer area, within the home, the smart home area, within the smart kitchen area, these are gonna be things that you're gonna to need to consider heavily. So I think that gives a good overview of, uh, um, well, not a, not a complete overview, uh, but a, a, a idea of uh, several different points of friction that, that companies can run into. Uh, companies need to look at how to solve these different points of friction. Again, we'll, we'll list some of these in the show notes. 
uh, so that uh, people can review them whenever they need. And Chris, did we did we miss anything, or is there anything floating around in your head uh, for now? No, I think we have it. I think I'm going to get ready and look at my WWDC uh, notes. Okay. Yeah, we need to come back uh, and, and give you an update on that next week since that was just a few days ago we, we caught up on that. So stay tuned for that, and we will be back next week.